0: JAT Chat presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Shelby Baez, an assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Michigan State University, and I will be temporarily taking over hosting duties from Dr. Kara Radzak on JAT Chat for the next few episodes. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Jennifer Howard and Dr. Ashley Goodman. They are the authors of Mindfulness Matters, Use in Perception of Mindfulness Practices Among Athletic Trainers, from an upcoming issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. Dr. Howard is an associate professor in the Athletic Training Professional Program at Appalachian State University, and Dr. Goodman is a professor and the director of the Athletic Training Program and Gross Anatomy Laboratory at Appalachian State University. Jennifer Jennifer and Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. So starting off, what are some of the potential barriers for the, the use of mindfulness uh, for athletic trainers? Well, from both
1: self-care and patient care perspectives, um, you know, some of the implementation barriers um, for clinicians is the age-old aspects of time, time limitations. Um, some, and I I, I do want to, to get the, I'm going to talk about the research aspects and then I'm going to hit the aspect of an age-old aspect of stigma. So some of the things that have, have um, the research will say time limitations, you know, they have, some immediately think that I need to go to an eight week mindfulness based stress reduction course that costs five hundred dollars. I'm not sure if they cost that much, but they do cost. Um, the other aspects uh, are the perceived knowledge of best mindfulness techniques and things, and, you know, the barriers of, can I teach, you know, this, can I do this? Do I have time to do this? And then also, can I teach it um, to my patient? And then the aspects of cost. So time and cost are some of the bigger ones. I think one of the the biggest barriers that we need to get around from this and work-life rhythm as well is to stop the stigma. And that can be the aspect of stopping the stigma around mental health. And then some of the practices to address mental health. But for centuries, we have known about in the athletic training about the mind-body connection. And if you look at from the aspect of stress uh, and anxiety and, and anxiety being the most common mental illness, you know, with for over 40 million um, adults in the U.S. just diagnosed, you know, with that. And the American Psychological Association putting out their Stress um, in America survey, and how we're putting that around 2020 and the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. They have they're sounding the alarm of you know that we are facing a national mental health crisis that you know could yield serious health, physical, mental, and social you know consequences for years to come, and so what I think we asked the, to break down the stigma of what mindfulness practices are and what they are are not. And we start with that mindfulness practices do not uh, have to be this vision. I have to sit in the Lotus position for 30 minutes or even 10 minutes. And I must clear my mind. That is the, the opposite of what it, you know, of what it could be. So if we try to start to break down the barriers of what it is and, and what it, you know, is not, I think that that would start to break down a lot of the other barriers. And therefore that mindfulness is not that, you know, that 30 minute clear the mind aspect that you have to do every morning before your morning coffee. Um, it, that mindfulness is available to us in every, in every moment. Um, it it is can be the two deep breaths that you take before accepting that call from the disgruntled coach or parent. Um, and so I think if we look at it from an aspect of becoming more aware of our thoughts and emotions, we're better able to discern what is deserving of our attention and and what is simply noise you know, from the stress, you know, um, of the day, and then to not quiet the mind, but to be kind of more aware of our thoughts and feelings without getting caught up in them. And so that not every thought and feeling that passes through is factual or important, um, that it may simply just be a passing reaction that we need to observe. Non-judgmentally, and I'll say that's one of the hardest things for me to do, you know. But that they will pass with time if you just take two deep breaths in that moment. And so we talk about with our with our patients and things and getting out of their own head. And athletic trainers are, you know, no different, you know, from that aspect. But providing that awareness and breaking down that stigma can make help us kind of um, what can we control in life? There's not many things that we can. But our thoughts, you know, and most of the metacognition level of it is not so much sometimes the thoughts, it's the thought about the thought or the feeling about the feeling. I shouldn't be having these feelings, you know, and then strap into the emotional roller coaster and here we go. Um, So that we can be aware and then start to control, you know, um, potentially those feelings before we feel like they're controlling us. And if we talk about mindfulness from that aspect, that it doesn't have to be this long thing. It can be these brief, impactful mindfulness practical practices that we can use. Um, 30 second or two minute meditations, um, four-eight breathing, that you, you know, inhale for four, pause, exhale for eight, pause and do that three times or from the aspect of doing five, four, three, two, one, with the body sensations, five things you can see. And then you go down from hearing, touch, you know, taste and smell and taking those 30 seconds. And if you keep doing those aspects and you can kind of start to actually research has shown, change your brain. And therefore um, we can then maybe approach the aspects of the stressors of the day or the factors that impact our personal or professional, you know, life and rhythms um, and those conflicts in a better headspace. So first breaking down the stigma, I think is, is key. And, and so those barriers of time, finding brief mindfulness practices of cost, looking at what your institution has, you know, and, and, and also from the aspect of the secondary school setting, there are just, lots of of organizations and things that are doing things from mindful schools and i'm kind of getting into some of the recommendations but um so i don't mean to jump ahead on you no um, you're good yeah so um you know looking at those those are some of the barriers the biggest being the stigma
0: yeah I, i think you started already leading us into the the recommendations piece which i think is great and uh I, I really appreciate you mentioning that it doesn't have to be this 30 minute practice that you can channel mindfulness in just a matter of two breaths. Um, I'm curious, do you, if you have any additional recommendations, maybe different strategies or techniques that someone can use to maybe start to, to figure out how, or when they can implement maybe that two breath mindfulness recommendation that you, you provide
1: Sure. Um, So some of the recommendations that we talk about, you know, from the aspect of practices is, yes, in this day and age, there are smartphone apps from Headspace to Calm, and they do have levels of five to 10-minute, you know, meditation sessions that can guide you, you know, through that. Um, And, however, some of those those aspects of the 4-8 breathing or the two um, uh, or the 30-second Qigong or Tai Chi, you know, movements, Um, that do an aspect from um, also channeling energy or just 30-second things that you can do before a meeting, you know. Or there are other aspects on on mindful.org that give walking, you know, meditations, uh, things that you, mindful eating aspects. Um, So um, there are other aspects of brief yoga and Tai Chi um, uh, on YouTube channels. You know, those those are some um, some options, and then there's you know, also what we try to get into is some aspects of metacognition, uh, and just taking a moment to say, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and just and hit it in a non-judgmental way, or just even sitting there for a moment, and and unplugging for thirty seconds, and we will do um, just what it feels like to feel their feet on the floor you know, sitting in the chair or standing or in the five, four, three, two, one aspects of the body sensations. Um, The other thing that we do sometimes is a 30-second rant. Um, And that can be, uh, sometimes do 30 seconds to three-minute rants and they can do, and I ask them to take their screen. Uh, They cannot see their screen. They'll put a a shirt over it and, and things like this is what I'm talking about from my aspect of my students. And they will just type. If those that don't want to do that, it's a 30-second to a three-minute doodle um, that they'll do. You know, some, some aspects, um, you know, those are, are some, and then looking and incorporating those brief mindfulness practices both in the workplace for the athletic trainer. Uh, so I think some of the things that we didn't talk so much about in terms of some of the demographics, you know, um, and those females, you know, over um, were uh, prioritized it over are males, but those that were single and uh, without children uh, were more likely to be practicing you know, mindfulness. And that makes sense. Um, when you go home, often sometimes your life is not your own, <laughs> you know, from the aspects of children and spouse, you know, and, and things like that. Um, so what can we do within brief mindfulness practices within the workplace? And there are institutions that are using KORU mindfulness, like our institution, that are doing that, but what can we give the athletic trainer, you know, while, while they're in the workplace? Um, Those are some of the things that I think we need to incorporate because if you give that to the athletic trainer in the workplace and they start to integrate it into their, their personal practice, it becomes better um, integrated into their clinical familiar with those techniques and then hopefully more comfortable teaching them to their patients. Because some the emerging research is the, one of the strongest predictors of using uh, mindfulness practices in clinical practice is actually practicing there sh- yourself, and we found that with meditation. So,
2: I those are some, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think from looking at barriers from a clinical practice standpoint, is it, it's part of the mental health stigma and the need to change it from a this doesn't need to be a reactionary thing there's an element of prevention you know we look at what we've come with from prevention exercises from whether it's you know knee injury prevention or ankle sprain prevention we now know we have all these tools that we can try and prevent that well mental health's the same way trying to learn mindfulness when you're already in mental distress because it is a skill it is a practice Um, It's sometimes you can do it then, and it's still important, but it's going to be much more effective if you've laid the groundwork ahead of time to help, both from a personal and a clinical standpoint.
0: I I think that's a fantastic thought, especially with mindfulness, and um, because we're always going to face challenges in our life, right? It's about developing the skills and the techniques for us to be able to handle that stressful time when we face it, because no doubt we're going to face it, and uh, Ashley, I really appreciate this concept of controlling the controllable that that you're sharing, and I hope uh, those who are listening today will will take some of those tidbits that you've you all recommended. Um, so, just wanting to, to shift the focus just a little bit, and I think um, throughout the conversation, the concept of work life balance has been um, starting to, has been integrated, but just wanting to just explicitly uh, ask how does mindfulness fit into this discussion on work life balance work family conflict and burnout in, in athletic training
1: well as we we talked about from aspect of mindfulness um you know having positive outcomes from the aspects of reducing stress you know and, and anxiety and and even burnout you know from that aspect um like i said you know approaching some of these factors that impact Work-life balance and rhythm from a better um, from a better headspace, um, and I believe will will help the athletic trainer um, kind of become more aware of 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 kind of their their thought process and where where they're at, so that they can potentially approach the athletic the athletic director and have those difficult conversations from a better headspace of. I am undervalued and overworked and underpaid, um, and being able to—I like from the aspect of you know stress is a, um, you know a a kind of uh, happens from an aspect of a threat you know to a situation. And anxiety is the is the anticipation and then a reaction you know to the stress. And if we go into those conversations and go into those aspects of how to improve our work life balance and how to to feel like we're making a difference for us and our fellow athletic trainers, if we can approach that from a better headspace, then perhaps we can actually make a better argument for ourselves Um, from the aspect of burnout. Um, I talk a lot about burnout um, from uh, Emily Nagoski and her sister's uh, book um, *Complete Burnout: Completing the Stress Cycle*, and a lot from our, our students' perspective, um, and then from our clinicians' perspective, is if you are able to become more aware of of yourself and your thoughts and the feelings from a non-judgmental perspective, but you realize I am in a freeze mode so that reaction that you have to a threat flight fr- flight you know um fight or freeze and often we get into the freeze mode and we just get stuck if you're able to become aware of that i am i am in a freeze mode then you're able to recognize that non-judgmentally but use your tools as a way to complete, this, complete, the stress cycle, whether that's from a physical standpoint of exercise or a big old cry or laugh, you know, but you first have to become aware that you're there, you know? Um, so when, um, and I've gone slightly off topic from the aspect of, I, one of the things that I do with my, my students a lot is, um, is talking about you, uh, in this aspect of of imbalance and conflict and when you are you're often on the waterfall of emotions thoughts and feelings and it is pounding down onto you and all of these thoughts and the feelings about the feelings and things like that if you were to just step out take two breaths deep breaths and step out onto the riverbank and watch those thoughts feelings emotions come down non-judgmentally and watch them flow down the riverbank then you're able to maybe combat that difficult conversation with the coach, with the athletic director, with the parent, um, and potentially a a better way and have a better outcome. Um, So if we could, I feel like it could be a really good catalyst to address some of the aspects of um, of work-life imbalance and this rhythm uh, for an athletic trainer. I think it's a great catalyst to start from a great head, from a better headspace.
0: No, I think, I think that is um, super helpful information. Um, So this article is being featured in conjunction with others that focus on work-life balance and athletic training. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you all have any uh, recommendations on how we can continue to elevate this conversation on work-life balance, work-family conflict, and burnout with, Uh, within the athletic training community, even separate from uh, the integration of mindfulness?
1: Um, Well, first, having conversations like this um, is a great way. Um, And I think also, um, you know, having, having those honest, you know, conversations about the environment and the culture that we're in, and how to break down those barriers and these cultures that we should all have our stuff together um, and not sweat and look like we're, you know, look like the duck, you know, that, um, or the swan, you know, that is beautiful and graceful in the water, yet panting paddling frantically, you know, underneath. And then look, and how can we, uh, what are some practical ways, you know, to um look at these environments that are often not conducive um, to implementing mindfulness practices. A lot of athletic training facilities and clinics are um, very busy and not one-on-one. You know, so can we look at some aspects of of having, um, you know, focus group or um, group-based interventions and talking about mindfulness and talking about um, uh, some of these uh, things that have been in the research of, of, of how to improve, you know, your work-life balance, um, this work-life balance, mental health, um, mindfulness practice, they aren't, uh, they aren't sexy. Uh, mm-hmm. They are, um, and it's not dry needling. Uh, not that dry needling is a bad thing, uh, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, um and uh, it, it, but we need to, it, it, it's a very important aspect that if we don't take care of ourselves, we will not be able to take care of, of, of anyone else very well. Um, so, um, and, and Dr. Howard had a great aspect of analogy of um, the
2: aspect of, of prevention. Do you remember what, what we talked about the other day? Yeah, that I think part of it, like I said earlier, is thinking about it from a prevention standpoint before you're in the problem. And part of that comes from an education. And where are we talking about it? Where are we having dialogues? Are we are we training our students to have difficult conversations? um, Whether it's with themselves and figuring out, okay, what's a thought? What's an emotion? What's a feeling? And what's my identity? And difficult conversations with their student athletes and their coaches and their supervisors and their physicians. And how do we model? those things to better prepare them for what are real stressors they're going to have to, to deal with as professionals. Mm-hmm.
1: And I would also say, you know, um, one of the most important components of successful and consistent, you know, mindfulness implementations and and also self-care, just self-care implementations um, is, is often educating your stakeholders and learning, uh, you know, from an aspect of, not only what being mindful means, but then also how to set a boundary. And so I also agree with Dr. Howard that with uh, we need to make sure that we are educating our students on yes, conflict resolution, but effective communication and how to set a boundary and how to adhere to that, you know, um, to those boundaries. And then how to advocate for themselves. We talk all about being an advocate for the patient. We also need to teach our students and our clinicians how to advocate you know for themselves and how to to present the data Um, and so those if you come at that from a better headspace instead of a very anxious you know state of mind I bet you'd have a better conversation with that with that AD or that coach (laughs) so I also would like to put a, a, a big punch in for that that Our students need the hard skills, absolutely. We have got to focus on incorporating the soft skills more into our our educational programs and even offering them to our clinicians.
0: Well, I I certainly appreciate uh, those recommendations and that conversation. And I'm glad that um, things like this can help to elevate that conversation. Um, Do you all have any final thoughts for our readers and our listeners as relates to any of the topics we've discussed today?
2: I think mine would be, you know, give it a try. Like a bad workout is better than no workout. Some, some what you may feel like, or you shouldn't label it, but you know, a short mindfulness practice, much like Dr. Goodman has talked about is better than no mindfulness practice And, and waiting for the right time to start a new habit or to implement something new clinically you know, we know perfection doesn't happen.
0: So go for it. That's well said. I, I would I would agree. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, Dr. Howard, Dr. Goodman, thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, this article is available free of charge by the Journal of Athletic Training. So I highly recommend everyone go and download this current manuscript when it comes down in an upcoming issue. Um, So again, thank you both so much, and we will see you all on JAT Chat the next time.